Big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Man, this is a pleasure. I got my main man, Robert Parrish, sitting here talking to me on my podcast, Cedric Maxwell. Welcome in, Robert Parrish. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on your show, Cedric. Man, it's such a pleasure. I'm, I'm looking at some of these things. I'm looking 36 years ago, you were on the cover of Sports, Sports Illustrated. Okay, where did the time go at, man? Time wait for no one. You know, we get a little older, a little wiser every year. So it was a pleasure and a privilege at the time I was on Sports Illustrated. So uh, I really enjoyed uh, being on the cover. There are so many things I'm going to ask you. And, and, and the first thing I'm going to ask you is one of the crazy ones, because every fan has asked me about it. You and Bill Lambeer, they run this thing in the garden all the time where you're like knocking Bill Lambert to the floor and people start cheering. Yeah, how, you, how do you feel about that? I think the fans should let it go because I have let it go, you know, in the heat of the battle, you know, that the first time I ever lost control of, of my emotions and my temper. You know, we, we had changed a few uh, unpleasant trees towards one another. And so then, then a few elbows that passed between us, and then I just lost a third punches. So wow, wow, that's crazy. That's what I see. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe I, I lost my composure like that. That was the first time ever. Yeah. <laughs> I, the thing that amazed me about that was not only did you lose control and you, you, you know, you punched him down to the ground, but more than me was. None of his teammates came to his rescue. I didn't see nobody go at you. Yeah, I was kind of looking over my shoulder, Max. I thought I don't get sucker punches, to be honest. <laughs> but like you said, no one helped him. So I don't know what kind of message they were trying to send to him. I guess they had enough of the antics. I don't know what that was all about. One thing I, I look back over your career is you've been with the Celtics so long that you've just been involved in so many different things. Tragedies, mm-hmm. then bias. Talk I, about that. Oh, I, I, when I first heard about it, I was traveling down to Mass Pike running some errands and I heard it on the radio. And, and believe it or not, it was, I heard about it April Fools. It was no, April 1st. I thought it was a joke. I'm like, man, somebody got a strange, sick sense of humor. And then they just kept talking about it and talking about it. And then I realized that it was it was serious and it was real. You know, it certainly was a blow, not only uh, to the organization, the Celtics organization, but to his family. You know, I didn't even know him. And, and it hit me. He was a gut punch for me. You know, someone lose their life so early and so tragically. One thing, and then you follow that up, and you think about where you were, and then Reggie Lewis passes away, and you played with Reggie Lewis. His yeah. family and how that affected you, that had yeah. to be shocking again. I'm not a normally an emotional person, Cedric, but when I heard about Reggie, I actually teared up. Yeah, that, that hurt. Uh, I really got emotional about that because he was like an extension of my, my family. Uh, because we were teammates, you know, and, and as you know, teammates 
it's like your second family because we spend so much time together. And so that really shook me. You know, matter of fact, I used to think about religion. Two, two, two deaths that really shook me, uh, getting off topic a little bit, was Reggie and Moses Malone. Those, when, when those two passed, now that rocked my world big time. And I realized about Moses because there were certain guys that I remember with you that you just had respect for. Moses right, exactly. was one of them. Yeah. And and your favorite of all time is I always thought you gave him too much respect. But oh, no, I didn't. I got to give credit where credit is due. That's the baddest man they ever played against. And I went up against some great ones. You know, Patrick Ewings, uh, Moses, Akeem Olajuwon, Bobby Neal, Bill Walton. You know, I played against some, some really, really top talent and Kareem hands down. He's the only player I played against Cedric and nothing I could do to alter, change, redirect him. Nothing I could do. I just, just I just hope, you know, he wasn't hot because he was hot. <laughs> it's going to be a long night because he's going to get his 20, 25, but he get like 30, 35. Hey, it's, it's going to be a long evening. They and you know it's funny you you say that and you and I he's one of my favorites and you talk about Kareem. Mm. People for a while talked about one of your other teammates and they said Michael Jordan was the best ever. You're going with Kareem instead. I, I don't I don't agree with, with that uh assessment. You know, Michael was great in his time and, and you got to give him credit for one winning six championships in a row, you know, two, three peaks. You know, I acknowledge that and I respect that. But as good as Michael was, and he had he was uh, exceptional talent, you know, Kareem, that 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 sky hook was unstoppable. You know, and you, and you had a similar shot yourself. Your jump hook was unstoppable. Man, what can you do with that? Just hope you have an off night. <laughs> That's it. That those two, the jump hook and the sky hook, are, are, are in my opinion, the two most unstoppable weapons in basketball. And and you guys, to your credit, also. You perfected it like Kareem did, and you and I touched on it in an earlier conversation. You just didn't have the range the big fella had, but you were just as accurate with, with your jump hook. I, you, you're going to have to run me through, and, 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 and fans, I got a chance to talk to Robbie yesterday on the phone, and I want you to tell me this story that you told me about Michael Jordan. When you and Michael Jordan kind of came to, you know, kind of little differences about your opinion about how, how the game was played when you played with Chicago with Michael Jordan. Yeah, uh, how, how, how the, uh, if you want to call it a confrontation, came about. Uh, Phil was alternating players, you know, second team on the first team, first team on the second team. And so I started, we scrimmaging, we played like six games of, of uh, going to five points. And so after the the first two games, Phil put me with the second unit where, where I always played with, you know, my boys. You know, my, and then he put uh, 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 Longley on back with the first team. Luke Longley, that's his name. And so we proceeded to kick their butts like four straight games. <laughs> and uh, Michael took offense to it. So I asked him, how did he like that butt whooping? No, so, no, 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 no. This is a real podcast. How you like that ass whooping? That's well, what I, I, didn't, I didn't know whether it was a family no, 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 show no. or not. We, this ain't family. We we good. 
But since I don't have to use a filter, I asked him, how did he like that ass whooping we just put on him? And he took offense to it because clearly no one ever, ever manned up to him and you know, challenged him. So he said that he was going to say that if, if, if I wasn't careful, he was going to kick my ass. And I told him, like, I'm not in awe of you. I played with some of the baddest fellas that were walking the court, and I reeled off some names, you know. I'm calling you like Cedric, the Bird, McHale, Bill Walton, Tiny, and I'm supposed to be in awe of you. You know, he's looking at me like I had slapped his mother. <laughs> I, I love that story. Then you went even further, and I think you talked about one of the rookies came over to you and said, man, I can't believe you talked to Michael like that. Yeah, uh, uh, Derek Dickey. Couldn't believe that uh, I talked to you know Michael like that because clearly you know Michael was the alpha you know he was his team he ran he ran the ball club and everybody kind of like got out of his way and do his thing and I understand that but I like I said I'm not at all him I was a champion when I came there and you know, with all due respect to he and Scotty and, and Dennis Rodman you know I, I uh, you don't know my hanging from the rafters the guys I just named hanging from the rafters not to mention. I played with some Hall of Fame, Hall of Famers, and I'm going to be in awe of him. And not to mention, Cedric, let's not forget, even though he dropped 63, we stepped all in his ass, did we not? <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> I, I, you know, I absolutely love that story because I, I, people for a while have been talking about, well, Michael Jordan was a bully. And I said, I remember when we played with the Celtics during the 80s, we didn't have nobody who was a bully. We no. were just like a, a team that, you know, if we had anything to say to each other, we said it, but there was never any confrontation. We just went on and played. Well, you, you, well, you know, for yourself, uh, Cedric, everybody got their own style and, and the way they lead. You know, Michael was in your face. He challenged his teammates. And as you know, uh, Larry was our leader, but Larry led by example. You know, he wasn't a vocal leader. You know, he let his play dictate how we should play. And that's the, I think uh, Larry's uh, style and philosophy makes the best leaders. Because if you are yelling a screamer, after a while your voice falls on deaf ears and the players just kind of kind of tone you out and don't hear what you got to say. So I, I respect both uh, leadership styles, but I prefer uh, Larry's style the best. Because you know, some nights you know you don't want to hear what, what he got to say. You know, speaking of um, uh, Michael, he all up in your face talking trash. You know, he might get a short right, Max. <laughs> you know what? We, we, we talk about that, and I, I laugh because I think how close it was that the other day I was talking to James Worthy, and mm -hmm. I never know who's in the crowd of people when you're playing. James right. Worthy tells me, he says, well, Max, you understand that I loved you as a player. And the thing that happened was, I saw you playing against Robert Parrish at the Coliseum in Charlotte when I was in high school. I oh, go way back, yeah. right? <laughs> he, went, he went way back, and I was no shocked. And, and you know, you just never know who's in the team that's watching true. you. Do. Yeah, you never know who's watching you. That's why I, I, another thing I, I told Derek Dickey, too, one thing I always liked about my teammates, we came to play every night, Cedric. We didn't take nights off. You know, we came with every night because we got off on coming in your house and kicking your butt and <laughs> on your court. So that was a sense of pride for us. Man, the, the things that 
we we talk about is really strange the fact that there was a and I might have told I probably told you a story that when you were in Golden State, I had an opportunity to go there. When you got traded to the Boston Celtics with Kevin McHale for Joe Barry Carroll, everybody says that was the steal of the century and it had to be. How did you feel? Because you were just kind of like a throw-in yeah. with that trade. Uh, definitely said because at the time, the narrative about my career was that I was like a days ago. I didn't care about winning because, as you know, I don't show a lot of emotions. I'm kind of pensive and stoic. And so I, I, I obviously I give off the impression that I don't give a shit one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let me say this. And you learned that from your daddy. Because I remember <laughs> always talking about him. Those my, yeah, favorite, you know, my favorite Robert Parrish stories when you used to tell me you go to your daddy and, and say, Dad, can I have a dollar? He said, Now you know I don't get paid till Friday. Oh, it's classic, Cedric. <laughs> classic. And Cedric, it wasn't like he didn't have it. He yeah. just didn't want to give it up. He was he was probably, in my opinion, the tightest man I ever known. You talking about holding on to a dollar? He got to keep a dollar, Cedric. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Cheap now, is the day is long. Now, tell me about that trade and everything that happened, because I probably know most of it, but mm -hmm. I told you the story that Golden State came to me before that trade happened and said, what we're going to do is offer you a free agent contract, Cedric Maxwell. Right. And what we're going to do is we're going to have Robert Parrish and we're going to draft this guy, Kevin McHale. I didn't know who Kevin was. He said, that's right. going to be our front line. So I thought I was going to Golden State. They pulled the rug from under me. And, and eventually I hear this trade that a guy who already knew Robert Parrish was coming to Boston. How did that make you feel? And, and just, you know, the balance of power just turned because Maybe the biggest trade ever. Well, the biggest lopsided trade ever. First Two of all, famous for Joe Barry Carroll, and I love Joe. Joe was a good dude. Right. He wasn't right. no Robert Parrish, and he wasn't no Kevin McHale. Uh, first of all, I want to touch on what you said earlier about the Golden State Warriors pulling the rug from under your feet. Hallelujah for that. I'm so <laughs> glad they didn't get rid of you. <laughs> but that that being said, uh, I was in I was in uh, process of negotiating and the extension with the Golden State Warriors. And right in the middle of negotiations, I get a phone call uh, from the Warriors saying that I had been traded to the Boston Celtics. At first, I was pissed off because I feel blindsided. But then after I thought about it, I'm like, hell yeah. Because uh, <laughs> after they because that summer, uh, before they started negotiations on an extension for me, they traded Rick Barry away. So I knew right then that they were not serious about winning. So why would you trade your best player away? Especially two years before I got there, he had led them to a championship. So that lets me know that the only at the time was, was uh, Franklin Muley. And I knew right then that uh, if I stayed with, with the Warriors, I was going to have a very short career because they wasn't serious about winning. And and losing every night, uh, <laughs> it was tough for me to get used to that. You know, oh, that, that was a challenge. But uh, getting traded to, to Boston and uh, the first day of, of uh, training camp, I knew right away that it, it was something special because everybody was balling except for me. Because <laughs> that's the first time, Civic, I took the whole summer off. First time I, I, I never trained. Now, now, one time until I think training camp just started in September. 
and I started training after my birthday, August 30th. Now you talking about seriously, seriously out of shape? Oh my God, you guys were running, man, like it was mid-season. <laughs> I was like, okay, lesson learned. There's no such thing as an off-season. Lesson learned. You got to train year-round. So it was a, it was a, a teaching moment for me, and 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 a and a and a, and a valuable uh, experience for me. So. Uh, as you know, uh, being traded to Boston, that just like catapulted my career to a whole nother level. Not, I don't think I have said this all along, Cedric. It's not so much uh, our individual accomplishment because you were a great player. I was Kevin, Larry, DJ, and, and uh, Tiny. I think because we played on such great teams, that's what got us our fame and notoriety. Because we, in my opinion, we had a similar one of the best team ever. Some people say the best team, I won't go that far, but certainly one of the best teams ever. We had some horses. I don't know what you ever think about it sometimes, Max. Man, we, we had some talent, man. I, I, I tell Ooh. people that all the time because I said not only that, but all of us, we were in our 20s. You don't find you, yeah, we you get the, the, the greatest front line to ever play. And I always pay people talk about the big three. I said, no, it was four of us. It wasn't Thank just you. three of them. Thank and you. Said, and I said, what happened? This was the greatest front line that you could not. And, and you know what I remember? I just remember the battles that we had. It was when they put you and Larry on the team and then me and Kevin on the other team. Yeah. Man, doing was some of the most wicked battles I'd ever seen, especially when it was a post-up game at that time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I have always said this, Cedric, when, when I have done uh, other shows and they, they ask me about teammates and, and players that I respect and, and uh, underrated players, Three guys I always say. One is you, Akeem Olajuwon, and James Worthy. You three would never, for some reason, would never get the respect that you three deserve because I always feel like if you was balling, oh, we was going to be tough to beat. Same thing with the Lakers. If James Worthy was on, they going to be tough to beat. Same thing with Houston when they had uh, Olajuwon and Rap Samson. If, if the larger one was on, man, they was going to be a handful, man. So with all due respect to Larry, because he was a bad mother, I always felt like if you was on, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's going to be a long night, Cedric. <laughs> we, we talk about those series and, and the things mm-hmm. that went on. I'm going to give you a little bit of, uh, I guess, name recognition here. I mean, you know, we're going to go okay. give you a name and then you're going to throw, I'm going to give you a name that you're going to, you know, follow up with it here. Okay. Dennis Johnson. Another underrated player. And definitely, definitely underrated in terms of, of his uh, leadership, playmaking abilities, because he was known mostly as a defensive ball player. And, and uh, when he came to the, uh, the Celtics, he had to uh, reinvent himself. And I thought this showed a lot of poise, a lot of character, because he sacrificed a lot of his game for the team. And I thought that uh, he went from a, a two guard to a point guard, and which you know for yourself, that's a tough transition to do. 
but I thought it, it says a lot about who he was as a person that sacrificed his game for the betterment of the team. Dennis Rodman. Now you now you're talking about someone that's masquerading <laughs> as, as, as someone or something else. That was Dennis Rodman. He he said but he's one of the nicest, calming, most generous people you ever meet. But he created this persona, like he's just wacky, you know, don't care about anything, you know, uh, off-color type personality. Just the opposite. I've never seen anyone that tries so hard to live up to his nickname or his image or whatever you want to call it. He like went out of his way to do like, he'd be looking at him like, Dennis, what are you thinking about? <laughs> but like I said, he had created this uh, image and, and, and this, uh, like he owned drugs all the time, whacked out his mind, personality, you know, with all that colored hair and, and the way he dressed. Sometimes Cedric, he, he did come to the games, get on the bus. Man, he looked like he just came, got out of a cardboard box. Looked like a homeless person. You never would know that though. Never would, never, people that were on the outside never knew that. And then you see him look like a homeless person. And then he looked like, come to the next game, a rock star. He got the velvet, uh, bare bottom, hip hugger pants on, <laughs> velvet ruffle shirt <laughs> with a vest, with, with, a, with a big hat cocked to the side. <laughs> He's one of the strangest personalities they've ever been around, for the sweetheart of a person. Isaiah Thomas. I love him, but he's a little dick. Kevin said something to me last year walking off the court when we beat Boston. He said, don't be happy just to be there. You know, go and win it. I, I heard what he said, I, I listened, and I understood but I really didn't understand until now that we're back in it again. I understand now. And I say that because all, I won't say all of them, most of the altercations Isaiah initiated it. He instigated it. He's a little troublemaker. A great ball player. I certainly would like to have him on my team because of his skills and ability. But he was a, excuse my language, he was a shit disturber. That's what he was. <laughs> he started a lot of problems, Cedric, that, that the Pistons could avoid. Now, granted, it turns out to, to be a positive for them because they got this bad boy image and, you know, they was a tough, you know, and, and uh, stoic bunch. You know, it turns out to be a good thing for them. But all that started with Isaiah, in my opinion. The thing which people don't know about you, and I think is the craziest thing, was just how you got the nickname Chief. Uh, they get ready to find out, right? Everybody talked about that, and we laugh all the time, and everybody said, well, Max, what did you think about it? I said, because... Chief used to say that to me all the time, and I he say, "What's up, Chief?" And I say, "What's up to him?" But it yeah. stuck with you and everybody from then on. 
just that you could walk into you could walk into the Boston Garden right now, and the first thing you hear that mother, and it was like it was like and, and it was such an honor for me to kind of tag you with that. And it's just right, seemed like right. unbelievable the way people, you know, and that's what they, they call you now when they see you. This is true. They don't call me Robert anymore. It's Chief. And I have to, I have to say, uh, it all originated, as you know, from the movie, One Flew the Cuckoo Nest. I was always raving about uh, that movie. You know, I, I was a huge fan of Jack Nicholson, obviously. And so I just kept, man, you got to watch that movie. The best movie I ever saw. And then one day you said, you know what, Chief? You kind of remind me of that character, uh, the chief, because you don't never say much. You know, and then you all walk around, you know, like you can't talk, just like the character in the movie. And then you then you start calling me the chief, and I was throwing it right back at you. And like you said, for some reason, it stuck. I don't know why it stuck, but it just everybody just started calling me the chief. I, okay, throw another name out, Red Arback. I know I'm being a little biased. If not the best general manager, one of the top three general managers in all of sports, in my opinion. Red had the, the foresight or the ability to go out and, and find the personnel that his team needed. You know, what, 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 I use myself as an example. Uh, they needed uh, a defensive presence somebody that can provide offense also, he went out and found me. Uh, he needed uh, someone in the, to show up the, the, the middle before I got there. Uh, somebody uh, rugged and, and, and tough, tough-minded, Dave Counts. Before that, he got uh, Bill Russell. You know, all he always went out and, and got the pieces that we need. Uh, when Tainer retired, he went and got uh, Dennis Johnson. You know, and before he got, before the, he, uh, Larry came aboard, he went and got you, which hurt my feelings, by the way. <laughs> Golden State was going to take you. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> you know what? And I always wanted to, I always thought, man, what a place that would have been like to live because I remember you talked about it all. Oh. And I was thinking, like, man, it would have been like, Unbelievable! They yeah, got to go out there, but you know it worked out. Obviously, oh, yeah, it turned out to be a good thing because we ended up being teammates. But because they had told me that they were looking at you and they were seriously thinking about drafting you, and I had my fingers crossed. I'm like, get him, <laughs> definitely get him. Because I remember we we played in college against one another. You was the one person we didn't have an answer for. I I could do nothing I, with you. I'm gonna throw another name at you. Uh-huh. Don't don't frown up either, Bill Fitch. You know what? As as difficult as Bill could be, Cedric, I never forget Coach Fitch. Never never forget him because what he did for us, he made us mentally not only physically tough but mentally tough. And I'll never forget Coach Fitch with that because think about this: we were down to Philadelphia seventy six three one in that series. And because of Coach Fitch would not let us think for one moment that we couldn't come back and win that series. And I think that's why we won it. And that's why I said it. I would never forget Coach Fitch because I'll be the first to say that I need to toughen up. You know, mentally. Mentally, because you sometimes it's not about skills, as you know. It's about will. 
Because there are some nights, you know, you don't want to be out there. You don't feel like playing. But you're looking at this mother that you're playing against, and you're like, I, I'm not giving him the satisfaction, you know, outdoor meeting night. And that's why I say sometimes it's all about will, not so much about skill. And that's one of the things that Coach Fitch and Steele and all of us, you know, you got to warn it more than the, the person you're playing against. And that's why I would never forget him because that's something he instilled in me, the mental toughness. Did you ever think for a minute that you would play as many years as you did and play more games than anybody in the history of the National Basketball League? Sir, when I first came into the league, I told myself, if I can get 10 years out of this, I'm good. <laughs> I'm all good. Just let me get 10 in because it, it was like a, a goal or an objective for me to play for, for 10 years. And after I, after I played for 10 years, it was all gravy after that. But shit, we were doing so well. I was like, why leave now? Because we were balling out, man. <laughs> you know what? I, I think about this, Seven. The young fellas uh, today think they balling. They should have been balling when we were balling. You know what I mean? Because these young fellas, they take nights off. What's up with Seven taking three or four games off because you tired? Man, I'm like, man, come on. Man, I, yeah, it was just, I think it was such an amount of pride. And exactly, people going to ever talk about that series we had against Philadelphia in 1981. That to me was like one of the most, it was like we had gone to war. It was, exactly. it was, exactly. it was just it was. that crazy the yeah. way we played Dr. J and, 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 and going down the line, Caldwell Jones yeah. and Daryl Dawkins and Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones. I mean, just a parade of guys. Oh, Cedric. And, and for, we could have gave up and nobody would have fought if we had to just say, we can't come back. Loose ball. Bird tries to get it away. He does to McHale. What a play by Bird. Boston by two. Opening minutes, final quarter. Bobby Jones will come back. Nine seconds on the shot clock. He's swinging around. McHale, three seconds. The car has to fire it up. 105 to go. Larry Bird pulls up. I don't up. think no one would have pointed thing at us. Because when you think about it, those first three games, they kicked our butts every game. <laughs> they kicked our butts, Cedric. And we could very easily say, hey, we don't have it this year. But, but it, it's just, see, it speaks volumes because I always feel like whatever type of team you're going to be, it starts at the top with the coach. And Coach Fitz set the mindset during training camp, like I said. Toughest training camp I've ever been in. And I knew I was out of shape. I'll be the first to say that because I, I did not prepare properly. But, ooh, it was grueling. I'm not going to even lie, man. Ooh. I, I just remember the thing that I always remember about you was the fact that nobody knew that you could run the way you did. And you're talking about getting up and down the floor. You were just, like, amazing with your foot speed because not a lot of big guys ran the floor. And that's what Fish said. We're going to get easy baskets with Robert Parrish just because he runs. Yeah. Stephanie, that all started uh, junior high school and high school. I ran track. I ran the 880 run, which is like, one, as you know, one time around. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I ran that until my, I think, my sophomore year. 
before I just just too tall, you know. They said you need to just give up track because <laughs> I'm like seven feet. Because <laughs> that that's where it started from the running and, and the endurance. Because I used to uh, uh, that was my specialty, the 880 run, which is one time around all out. And so I, I think that uh, was the uh, foundation for my running, my transition game uh, on the pro level. Man, just uh, uh, when you look back again at the guys you played against, your skill set, some of the things even I talk about, and, and I remember talking about you and I said, I was at your retirement and then they were doing something in Boston. I said, I've never been more proud of you, not for your basketball ability, but before, but when you made mistakes, you were mm-hmm. the first person to stand up and say, my bad. And oh, you yeah. did it publicly and not a lot of people would have done that. And it made me proud to be your friend because you didn't dodge, you didn't duck, you didn't blame somebody else. Talk about those experiences that you had during that time. Well, Cedric, that uh, my owning it, I think that's the uh, slogan or the terminology today, you know, own it, whatever it is, uh, from my parents. You know, you make a mistake, be a man enough or woman enough to admit that you made a mistake. You know, when I got caught, uh, with the with the marijuana, I didn't deny it. I wasn't in denial. I admitted it. You know, with the spouse abuse, uh, I never, I never, I, I, I don't. Reason why I don't call it spouse abuse because I, I never hit my ex, but because I grabbed her. Uh, that's that's why uh, people say it's abuse because when you're in a, when you're in a, in my opinion when you're in a heated argument. You know, when you're passionately arguing with someone and then you put your hands on that person, that is assault. And so that's the only reason why I don't I don't never deny assault, even though I and I don't think it was assault, because I just grabbed her and pushed her. But like I said, you should never put your hands on a woman. And I've said this over and over again. I was it was my mistake. I should never put my hands on her. What I should have done was call hotel security. That would have been a proper way to handle that situation. But hindsight is twenty twenty. Nothing I can do about it now. Yeah, those those things I think for me, it showed me the character of who you were. And it's that important. was so yeah. important to me as, as yeah. a friend because a lot of times when we have problems, and this is I think we could take our, our older players right now, even the president of the United States, and say, look, own it, dude. If you make a mistake. All you can do is say you're sorry. And if people don't accept that, Robert Parrish used to have a line where you say it right now, and I'll go right here. That's what we say. (laughs) Exactly. What did Terry Terry Dudrow just say? You want me to hug and kiss you? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I just want to send that picture to you of Terry Dudrow because Terry Durod turned out to be one of your best friends and the guy that you really just love to be around. Yeah, he for some reason he just was drawn to me. I don't know why, because you know, as you know, I never said a lot. I kind of kept to myself. I don't know what about me that he found so appealing or attractive, but he ends up, you know, we were what aside from you and DJ, he was probably my closest friend that I ever had as a teammate. So for, I, I still can't figure out what it was about me since I've always been aloof and distant and, and people never took the time to get to know me except for you 
Terry Durant and Dennis Johnson. Well, the thing no I love about that was like the room would be quiet. All of a sudden, you hear Durant, "Gee." <laughs> he was like you were like his lawyer he That's always okay. gave you like chief chief come on man tell me tell that man to leave uh, he, he he was just he he was terry terry was like uh my my own personal uh uh endorser promoter i don't know what it was about me like i said Cedric, but he loves Sir Robert Parrish. <laughs> and I can I still don't understand why. <laughs> but for some reason, he was drawn to me. What is the difference now in the league that you see from when you played and what's going on now with the top players like LeBron and Steph Curry and, and guys like that? You just look at and go, man, that, that, they can play, but how would they fit in the old NBA, where we say during our time during the eighties, I, I, I think uh, their game and talent would, would uh, transition to when we was playing because their talent is so high and, and they are fundamentally sound. You, you know, Cedric, as you know, if you can ball, you can play in any era. You know, in the top players, you know, the LeBron and Stephs, you know, and and, and uh, Durant. Those guys can play in any era. One thing I have noticed, though, Cedric, is is uh, the centers. There are more uh, more diversity in their games. You know, they just don't do the post up game like like uh, uh, the bigs uh, like we used to do. Just strictly low post. The bigs today, you know, they out on the floor. They shooting threes. They shooting long twos. The reason why I don't complain about the bigs today, Cedric. Because they still do big man things. They still rebound. They still block shots. They still rim protect. They still run the floor. The transition game is still there. You see a guy because, like you see a guy like uh, Anthony Davis, who's Anthony with the Lakers. Anthony Davis, he yes, that, he's that prototype now of a new prototype. Towns is, is another one. The big fella down in Philadelphia, I can't think of his name right now. MB. <laughs> MB. He need to get if, if I was the coach or uh, 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 had some input. I would hey, tell hold, him. Hold on, hold on. Let me say it for you. You need to get his big ass on the box and stay right there. That too, but first he need to get in better physical condition, Cedric. His physical conditioning, you know, is laughable. How can you run out of gas in the fourth quarter when your team needs you the most? Wow. Oh, unbelievable. To, to, to not be physically fit. That's I was I would have said that's something all of us took pride in, our physical fitness. When we out doing whatever, we put in <laughs> we put in the time the next day said because you know we've been out drinking, you know, chasing the honeys, you know, drugging, whatever. <laughs> we put the time in the next day. To get that out of our system, you know, we, we do some sprints, we do some extra shooting, we sitting in the sun and the steam, you know, we we kept ourselves in peak physical condition, and that's a message somebody needs to convey to him because he's got the talent. Oh yeah. Oh, he can ball. How? This is I, I look at it the difference between your first year in the league and then your very last year in the league the difference between who Robert Parrish was as a person and as a basketball player? Oh, uh, first of all, maturity. 
first of all, I, I grew a lot. Uh, and obviously, I matured uh, not only as, as a player, but as, as a person. Uh, certainly learned from my mistakes. You know, Cedric, touching back on, on, on my transgressions, one, one valuable lesson that I learned from my, my two missteps was it is not just about you when you stumble. You know, it's, it's you, friends, your family, your teammates, your organization, the fans. It affects a lot of people. And, and that's a realization that hit home to me. You know, after, after my, my incident uh, uh, with the marijuana, I really watched and what I said and did after that. Because I realized, even though uh, I'm very proud of my family and friends where they handled that situation because nobody uh, was, was uh, negative and very supportive. But you can see the hurt in, in, their, in, their, in their eyes and, and, and in their voices. So that's when, that's, that's when I, I realized that, you know, Robert, it's just not about you when you F up. You, you, your, your missteps are, are impacting a lot of people. And that's when I clean up my act. One of those things you and I talked about the other day was I, I almost feel like sometimes that you are that forgotten piece. And you and I, you cleared it up for me. I talked about Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and their opportunities after basketball. I said, what were those opportunities for Robert Parrish? You cleared that up for me immediately. You said, Robert Parrish didn't want to start doing this till he was 56 years old. And by then, it was already too late. <laughs> it was too late then, Cedric. You know, I'm, I'm sliding into 60 years old, uh, 60 years of age, really. And that's when, um, at least from, from, from uh, professional sports, you know, they think about retirement. They're pushing you out the door. So I, 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 have, to, I have to say, you know, that, that wound was self-inflicted. Because uh, after I got through playing uh, the game, I didn't want to do anything. I just kind of like disappeared, you know, off the face of the earth, so to speak. And by the time, you know, I started to get that itch and started getting bored and wanted to do something, you know, it was too late. So I, I feel like that was definitely a detriment to me. I think it's one of the reasons why uh, I never, never ever got uh, my, my second career going because I didn't want to do anything until it was, you know, way too late. What I should have done in hindsight was got on it right after I retired while my name was still on everybody's mind. I think that may have helped a lot. But as you and I talked yesterday, you know, I, I think uh, another uh, thing that hurt me was my uh, transgression, uh, the spouse abuse and, and the marijuana charge. I think that played a part. And I know I'm going to start some trouble, but I'm saying it anyway, not to mention I'm a black man. If I was white, I'd probably have a job. <laughs> I'm just going to tell it like it is. Tell it. Like, look, I'm going to tell this, it like it is. This, this is what this job is about. This is, why, yeah. this is why I wanted you on my podcast, just to tell it like it is. Yeah. Now, Horace Grant did something the other day on Bet Online, and they, they were doing a segment, and they talked a little bit more about some of the things, again, about Michael Jordan. And all you hear is it is seemed like it's a conflict because on one hand, Horace Grant, who was there, on another hand, you were there. The story seems to be a little bit different than just Michael Jordan being 
the nice guy who just wanted to win. It seems like it was a lot about Michael for Michael's sake. Oh, well, you, you, you know, uh, uh, how the hierarchy plays, uh, Max, you know, the, the bigger the talent, the more tolerance you have for that talent, you know, uh, that old saying, we all, we all treated the same, but we treated differently. <laughs> you know that that saying? <laughs> Your fish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, uh, Michael, uh, Definitely could could uh, wear on you because he has such a strong personality, very vocal, you know, uh, almost to the point of com- being confrontational because he get right up in your personal space, talking trash. So I tell you what, I'm glad I wasn't a teammate. Confederate, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, that me. Uh, I would have. He the ground rule from the start. And if he did it again, I'm going to punch him. <laughs> you know, that's one thing I always liked about us, you know, the, the Celtics. Is we respected one another. You know, we talked a lot of trash every day, you know, about each other. But it's always that respect. We not, I can't think of one, one teammate that did not respect one another. We always respected one another. And I think that's where Michael crossed the line. He don't always respect his teammates, but he demand perfection. I feel like if you're going to re- re- demand perfection, which is impossible to do, by the way, you got to give some respect. Let your teammates know that you give a crap about them. Wow. And that's something that I, I thought I always thought like he lo- he lost sight of. Well, let me ask you this: so what, what did what did Phil Jackson do when it came to that? Tell me a little bit about Phil because I love this one story I'll tell that you told me. I love it when Phil Jackson came to you and said, big fella, they, when you played with Chicago, he said, big fella, we ain't going to need you this week. Go take a vacation. Stay home. I love this story. <laughs> Phil, that was yeah, so funny to me. Phil was, was the best. When, when I signed uh, with, with the Bulls, I had a two-year deal. And after training camp, he told me, uh, Robert, uh, once you know you're not going to play a lot, they're going to be weeks, sometimes maybe a month before you play. The only thing I ask of you is that you keep yourself in, in top physical condition. And and uh, that's the least I could do. Said, stay in shape, didn't have to play. So that was a, a great way to finish up. But but uh, getting getting back to, to answer uh, your, your question, uh, Theo... <clears throat> Uh, like most coaches, left the locker room alone. He let the players figure out uh, the hierarchy, how the, how the locker room was going to be governed. And uh, I think in, in Michael's case, there was a mistake because he just took it and ran with it because he bullied all uh, those guys. And, and you know what, Cedric, what, what bothered me about that? They didn't have the balls to say nothing about it, the teammates. Man, seven, there's no way we'd have we took that from Larry. There ain't no way, Max. Come on now, you know it's true. There ain't no way we would have tolerated that behavior from Larry. And he was our leader. No way we'd have tolerated that. that you know what I mean? That I, is, this, this old saying I have, and I know I can say this because you said this is not a family show. It bothers me, man, you know, the ass kissers. That bothers me. 
Only time you should kiss some butt, Cedric, is doing six. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it, Cedric. <laughs> you, you know, when, I can't go any further than that, man. I think you, I think you done did it for me today because I'm going to have to take that one with me. Okay. <laughs> On behalf of Cedric Maxwell and the Cedric Maxwell podcast and Celtic Nation, Big fella, it was a pleasure to have you on anytime. And you know, you know, you and I go, you know, we like yeah, this. That's right. No we, all, we will always be like, like this. that, Cedric. So uh, you know again, keep your family safe, you stay safe, and we'll holler at you a little bit later. Right. Cedric, I want to thank you for, for allowing me to be on your show and be and be a part of, of your profession. I appreciate that doing some reminiscing. I want to wish you continued success. You stay healthy, stay safe. And as uh, the hammer used to say, please don't hurt him. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you later, man. All right, take care, Cedric. Bye-bye. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Ah.